0: As we continue our worship this morning, and you can give ear now to the reading of God's word, our scripture on which the teaching is based this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith Well, this morning we have the privilege of hearing from our very own cj francis he is one of our pastoral interns here at new life and this fall he enters into his last year at westminster seminary now that is a bit of bittersweetness for us because cj Uh, Before moving down to go to seminary in Westminster, lived up here in Irvine where he's helped lead life groups. He's been part of our Mercy team. He's helped lead our, our youth group. He's been so involved. And then in sensing a call to ministry, we sent him down to seminary where he's been top of his class. He has done us proud, we couldn't be happier for him, but we also know that he is sensing a call to reformed university fellowship and college ministry, particularly in the historically black campuses of America. And so as he determines that, as he distinguishes that, we know that we will be sending him further than Escondido, probably shortly after seminary. So happy you made it through, but uh, we will definitely miss you when you officially take off for us. But that's that's neither here nor there, right? There's lots of other great things I could tell about CJ. Embarrassing stories, funny stories. But he couldn't be more proud of him as one of our interns. And so please give a warm welcome to CJ this morning as he preaches for us.
1: Good morning, New Life Irvine family. Good morning. (laughs) It's an honor and a privilege to stand before you all this morning and uh, unfold the, the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's start by praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in Jesus we have a living hope, a hope that death itself could not conquer or snuff out. And as we look closely at this living hope this morning and how he can transform our experience of suffering to be one that is actually characterized by joy. We pray that you bless the preaching and hearing of your word, that the hearing of your word will be united by faith, and that you'd be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I think back on uh, my time growing up as a young black boy in South Florida, and I think back on songs that were most influential to me, uh, one of the songs that comes to mind is Keep Your Head Up, by a rapper, Tupac Shakur. I'm not gonna ask you how many of you know who Tupac is. <laughs> but um, the song, the, through the, in the song Tupac, he uh, traces the, the common plight of young black men and women, boys and girls throughout America growing up in the hood, uh, surrounded by poverty, by fatherlessness, by injustices of various crime, uh, kinds, crime and Um, despair. And and the main theme is no matter how hard life gets, keep your head up because things will get easier. Things will get brighter. And whenever the song came on on the radio, uh, it would put a smile on my face. It it gave me the feels. Yeah, it lifted my spirits. But I grew older and with the accumulation of years came the accumulation of pain and suffering. And I found that the simple and somewhat ambiguous encouragement to keep my head up wasn't enough. In light of the never-ending experience of suffering in this life, I found myself asking, why should I keep my head up? How do I know that things will get easier? How do I know that things will get brighter? What if they don't? And these questions become even more piercing when you consider that Tupac, three years after he released the song, he himself died as a victim to gun violence. And to this day, his killers have never been found. They've never been identified. So my question to you all is, is this all that we have to work with? Can we do better than a general encouragement that things will get better? Brothers and sisters, Peter's words in our text this morning give us more. Peter tells us that the hope of salvation is able to transform our experience of suffering as Christians. Right after verses 3 through 5 where Peter begins blessing the God who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he describes how God is guarding an incomparable heavenly inheritance for us and how God is also guarding us through faith until the fullness of our salvation has been realized at that time, at the end of time. Peter tells us that in all of these things, we rejoice greatly. In fact, we are overjoyed despite suffering various trials and despite having never seen the one in whom we trust for our salvation. Peter tells us that if our faith is in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that we have been born again to a living hope, a hope that God is guarding uh, as an inheritance for us that cannot be taken away from us, and that God is protecting, sustaining, and strengthening our faith day by day until our salvation is fully realized. In the coming of Jesus. And in light of all this, Peter goes on to tell us that we can do more than just keep our heads up in our suffering. That one, in our salvation, we can be overjoyed even while we are suffering. And two, in our salvation, we can be overjoyed even while we are not currently seeing our Savior. Peter gives us clear reasons for why we can keep our heads up and held high as Christians, even though the weight of the world threatens to break our necks. Indeed, in our salvation, we have a source of joy that overwhelms us and overshadows our current sorrow, even while our Savior is physically absent. So let's spend some time looking at this first point, why we can be overjoyed in our salvation, even while we are suffering. Peter gives us a few reasons for why we can find joy even in the midst of our suffering. And and one that we can see is that our suffering is short. Looking at verse 6, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Peter writes to these first century Christians as foreigners, resident aliens, spiritual strangers who reside in the land that is not their home. As Christians, these brothers and sisters are treated as weirdos, as outcasts. They don't worship the same gods as the rest of the culture. They don't participate in the same religious celebrations as the rest of the culture. And as a result, they are met with diverse trials in which they suffer. Some are even being imprisoned, and some even led to death for their faith. Though the trials that they suffer for bearing the name of Christ be many and diverse, Peter wants them to know that their suffering is short. Time is a funny thing. It's a funny concept. You know, we experience time both objectively... And subjectively, right? We can objectively measure a day or a year by observing how long the Earth takes to spend 360 degrees on its axis, or how long it takes to complete one full trip around the sun. And we can also experience time subjectively. It can seem to pass a lot slower if we're doing something we don't particularly enjoy, and it can seem to pass a lot faster if we're enjoying the time that we're spending, or if we're looking towards something that makes the time spent worthwhile. For example, being in seminary, I've had to endure many long lectures that seem like they'd never end. And I find myself looking at the clock repeatedly, and I have to tell myself, it's going to be a long day if you watch the clock. But we've also all experienced the phenomenon of when we're catching up with friends that we maybe haven't seen in years or family, and, and we stop and we ask ourselves, wow, how the time has flown. Um, and we even have this biblical example in Genesis 29, verse 20, where Jacob, he's having to work seven years until he can uh, take the hand of his wife-to-be, Rachel, in marriage. And, he's, and it says, Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. So time can be experienced both objectively and subjectively. And, and Peter, in this text, He wants his hearers and us to know that if we can realize that our time spent suffering is short objectively in light of eternity, this has the ability to transform us to subjectively experience that time of suffering with joy. Psalm 30 verse 5 reads, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Growing up in a predominantly black church, we used to sing the song called Trouble don't last always. And I'll, I'll spare you the uh, horror of me actually singing it right now. But in the chorus, we will repeat this phrase. I'm so glad that trouble don't last always. I'm so glad that trouble don't last always. And this phrase captures the heart of what we're, we've been looking at and speaking of finding joy in the relation, realization that our suffering is short. We can be glad in the midst of our suffering because we realize that trouble doesn't last always. And in the second half of that song, we'd repeat the words of Psalm 35 Weeping may endure for a night. Keep the faith, it will be all right. With the eyes of faith, we look ahead to the joy of eternity, the joy that far outmeasures the sorrows of now, and we let that joy intrude into our current suffering, our current weeping, rejoicing that though our suffering be real, and though it be bitter, trouble doesn't last always. Our suffering is short. 2 Corinthians 4.16-17 through 17 is, is, is a passage that so precisely gets at the heart of, of what Peter is saying here in this text, and we're actually going to come back to it a little later, but I'll go ahead and read it now. Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly We are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Brothers and sisters, we can be overjoyed even while suffering because our suffering is short and our troubles don't last always. But Peter gives us more reasons for why joy, immense joy is possible in the face of intense suffering. And another reason he gives is that our suffering As part of God's wise and good plan for us. Verses 6 to 7 read You may have had to suffer, or it is necessary to suffer, grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. These phrases you have had to suffer, it is necessary to suffer, so that your suffering may result in praise, glory, and honor, and on and on. These phrases, they communicate divine intentionality and purpose. They tell us that in God's wisdom, he has a plan for our suffering. And in God's goodness, he has purpose to bring about incomparable good for us from the things that we are suffering. God allows us in, for example, to suffer, to show that our faith is genuine. Continuing to hope in Christ while suffering proves that we're not those who heard the word and initially, initially receive it with joy, but then get our faith snuffed out by the sufferings of this life, as Jesus described in the, the parable of the sores in Matthew 13. The fact that we're able to hold on to Christ even in the midst of uh, intense suffering proves that we're the real deal, that our faith is genuine. Also, the outcome that God will bring about from our suffering is superior to the suffer that we, the sorrow that we experience. Going back to the verses that I read, just read, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our current light, more momentary troubles, are not worth comparing to the eternal praise, honor, and glory that we will experience when Christ Our living hope is revealed to us. We may lose friends. We may lose the approval of others. We may lose money, jobs, and opportunities. All of these things perish and fade away either way. We couldn't hold on to them if we tried. But the genuineness of our faith and the hope that comes through it are forever. And this forever hope of ours is all the work of God and Christ. Secured for us forever by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Enjoyed by us through trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. And moving on to our second point: why can we be overjoyed in our salvation even when we are not seeing our Savior? First Peter 1 Peter 1:8 reads, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and, and glorious joy. The hymn in these verses is Jesus. And Unless you have some, some story where you, Jesus came to you in a vision, um, I think we all can say in unison that the faith that we experience is kind of peculiar because we've never seen the Jesus that we proclaim. But Peter tells us that our current faith, love, and joy in the Jesus that we have not seen, it comes from looking to a Jesus who's proclaimed to us by those who did see him. We have good reason to believe in this Jesus, even though we've never seen him. Jesus' apostles, they lived with him for three years and walked side by side with him. They saw him do many miracles. They heard his teachings directly from his mouth. They saw the compassion in his eyes as he looked upon the poor, the sick, the shepherdless. They saw his love for the marginalized and the downcast. They saw him perform miracles, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, bringing the dead to life, even more, they saw his sufferings as he hung on the cross, taking their place in ours, drinking the full cup of the Father's wrath because of our sins. They saw him. They spoke with him. They touched him, ate with him after his resurrection. They personally experienced the living hope that they proclaimed to us in the scriptures. We have John beginning his letter, 1 John, with these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The Apostle Peter, the author of this letter that we're reading from this morning, in chapter 1, verse 16 of his second letter, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he even goes on to speak of the scriptures, the Bible, the written testimony about Jesus in this way. In Second Peter 1.19, he says, We also have the prophetic word as something more reliable, and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. When we meditate on the testimony of the apostles and fall in love with the Jesus that we meet in their words, our faith in that Jesus wells up into an overwhelming joy in the Savior that we do not currently see. And there's something so amazing about this that compelled Peter to encourage those Christians that he's writing to with these words. He's saying, I, Peter, I personally saw Jesus, but you didn't. Even though I lived with Jesus for three years, that didn't stop me from denying him at the first threat of persecution. But you, you've never even seen Jesus and you're rejoicing in the midst of suffering. Brothers and sisters, our ability to rejoice in the Jesus that we don't see in the midst of suffering, is an amazing phenomenon that ought to strengthen our faith in Jesus all the more. Which is why Peter says the following words, verses 8 and 9. Even though you do not see him now, you believed in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our current faith, love and joy in the Jesus that we do not see, comes from looking ahead to the Jesus that will also come back and complete our salvation. The same Jesus that we know truly came, lived, died, and rose again for us as we we know to be true, he has promised to return. He is our living hope. When he returns, our salvation will be complete. And as we sang earlier, our faith will become sight. And even now, we can hope in and be overjoyed in Jesus, our living hope. We know this hope is ours because the endurance of our faith through suffering— proves that salvation has already come to us, and it will certainly be completed at Jesus' coming. Now, I say all of this, and I realize that there may be someone sitting here today thinking and feeling like, that's really easy for you to, you to say, but I'd love to see you experience what I'm suffering right now and still talk to me about being overjoyed. And my response is, I know what it feels like to be able to recite all of this biblical truth about why I should be able to rejoice no matter what situation I'm in. But yet, it just doesn't seem to line up with my reality. It doesn't seem to line up with what I'm actually experiencing. But what gives me comfort in those times when I can't find the joy that I feel that I should have while I'm suffering is the fact that the Bible doesn't shy away from this reality. The Bible testifies over and over again to the immense and prolonged suffering of God's people who for years have no idea of the good that God is working through what they're experiencing. I mean, just look at the biblical story of Joseph. It took Joseph 13 years of enduring betrayal by his own brothers, 13 years of enduring slavery, of enduring unjust imprisonment, of enduring the pain of being estranged from his family in a foreign land, 13 years of Joseph's suffering without having any idea of the good that God was working from it. But yet 13 years later, he was able to see that God, through Joseph's circumstance, was able to preserve Joseph's family and make good on the promises that he promised years before. And he was able to look his brothers in the eyes and tell them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Not just the story of Joseph, but when you read through the whole Song Book of the Bible, the Psalms. What, there was a time a few years ago when I tried this uh, practice of every day when I would read a psalm, actually categorizing it based on whether or not there was clear suffering in the psalm or it was a psalm of joy. And I gave up after a while because <laughs> that was a big task. But really quickly, I saw that it seemed like for every psalm of joy, there was also a psalm of discouragement. A psalm where the psalmist is pleading and asking God, why is it that it seem like you can't hear me? I'm praying and I hear, I hear nothing. It seems like you've turned your back on me. But yet, when we read through the whole songbook of the Bible and get to the end of psalms, we have a whole section that is just marked with and dripping with praise and joy to show that in the end, joy has the final word. So I plead with the person who's finding it hard to hear this word today. Please don't give in to the doubt of God's goodness toward you. One day his good purposes in all the pain will become crystal clear. And the result will be more beautiful than anything we could have ever imagined or planned ourselves. And in Jesus, we have a God who chose to subject himself to suffering. Indeed, Jesus became a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But in Jesus, we also have a God who is our resurrected, living hope. and He guarantees that our weeping may endure for a night, but joy will have the final word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth of your text. A truth that we admit doesn't always seem real to us. It can easily feel cliche. But we know that it is true because our hope is alive in Jesus. In Jesus, our hope is a person who death couldn't conquer, who lives and proclaims that that same life will be ours, and it is ours even now. And we pray that you let this truth transform our experience of suffering so that we may, as the scriptures testify, be overjoyed even in the midst of suffering. The glory of your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.